You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here on this July 4th, the day that celebrates the birth of our nation. I would have worn something red, white, and blue, but I don't have any. But that's okay. I want to thank the worship team for once again ushering us into God's presence. The, the whole team isn't even here. But that's okay because they still did their piece and ushered us into God's presence. And I want to thank everybody for being here. And I have a surprise. My sister Marilyn and Tony are here. I looked up and saw Essie, and I looked, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's, there's, there's sisters are here. Oh, my goodness. And I want to thank this church family, the church family that's watching by remote. I have family around the country that's watching and friends. And I want to bless everyone and thank them for being able to tune in. Everybody can sit down. Cause one time before, I forgot, and y'all were standing there for 20 minutes. So let's, <laughs> let's fix that. Now, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. So in keeping with what Paul instructed us to do, I want to read two passages from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 24 and 50 to 55. And it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. And then in verse 50 it says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Now remember, this is Paul writing this, and he quotes Isaiah. Death is swallowed up in victory. And he goes on to quote Hosea. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So let's pray. Lord, in the spirit of thanksgiving, we come before you. We thank you for so much for this day, for our, your, your presence here, for our being with one another. But most importantly, we thank you for your eternal kingdom. 
We thank you for your faithfulness in providing Christ to give us access to this kingdom. And we thank Jesus for emptying himself of his glory to serve us. Finally, we thank the Holy Spirit for his indwelling presence because it's through him that we are able to live faithfully our lives and respond to God's love and the Holy Spirit's direction and Christ's command to love others and to love God. Amen. So the last time I spoke, it was Valentine's Day this year, and the message then was the word is truth. And basically what we talked about was Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. We did a little word study because that's what we do. I want Frank to be happy. We always have to do a word study. So we looked at the word word, and we said that Jesus was not only God in the flesh, what he was literally was the written word incarnate. We mentioned that he was the way, truth, and the life, and the mediator through which we gain access to the Father. But we also spoke about the Bible itself, the written word, the written logos. And we said that it revealed the Father God, and we said that it revealed the Holy Spirit as well. But what Jesus really said we focused on in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, was that love is what this is all about. This whole experience is supposed to be about love, loving God and loving our fellow man. And he said that that summarizes what all the law and the prophets in the scripture is all about. So our mission, we mentioned, was that we're supposed to reflect God's love. We're supposed to live in a way that manifests his character. Because think about it. One of the famous verses in the Bible, you see that football games and baseball games, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And that's what Christ tells us to do, that we're supposed to live lovingly. And we also mentioned an earlier sermon from last year in September, called and equipped. The basis of that was taking a look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But what Christ did was he called his disciples. And then he gave them some directions. He said, okay, I want you to have, I'm giving you authority over demons. I want you to go about and heal. And we mentioned that the healing isn't just physical healing, because a lot of times we want to get into like limited response to what God says. But we are in many ways created like God, and therefore there's three parts of us. Okay, our bodies, our souls, and our spirits. And what God wants us to do is to heal all three parts as we deal with each other. And the last thing he told them to do was to proclaim the kingdom. Heal, take authority over demonic activity, and proclaim the kingdom. And Paul defines that kingdom in Romans 14, verse 7, as righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So today's sermon is going to be entitled Eternity. Eternity. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3.11 defined eternity as that which God has put into the hearts of man. So, doing the definition, eternity is a noun and it's defined as infinite or unending time. It's a state to which time has no application. Think about that. We're temporal beings. We can't really understand stuff without, well, it's this o'clock and then it goes to that o'clock. Well, eternity doesn't have any o'clocks in it. It's a state of timelessness. And theologically speaking, it's endless life after death. 
It comes from the Latin word eternitas, the root of which is eternus, meaning without beginning or without end. Now, adjectives kind of clarify or modify what nouns are. See, I was a lit major. I had to throw that in there. But, but, but they clarify what a noun is. So the adjective form of the word eternity is eternal. And that means lasting or existing forever without end or beginning. So that which is eternal is valid for all time and it's essentially unchaining and it talks about truths and values or those questions that reside in the heart and we don't necessarily get an answer for but they're always there. If the word eternal is used informally, it's basically talking about seeming to last or persist forever and it's used to express gratitude feelings of gratitude. You'll hear it something like, oh, uh, I will be eternally thankful for what you did. I will love you eternally because of who you are and the way you make me feel. But it's also used to refer to an everlasting or universal spirit as is represented by God. Now, 1 John 5.11 says, this is the testimony, and it's referring to Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life eternal. Almost saying if you don't have the son, you don't have eternal life. Now, when I was preparing this, I found a verse. I think it was yesterday, but I found a verse in the book of Daniel. And it says this, Daniel 12, verse 2. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, but some to everlasting contempt. So for us as Christians, what we're always dealing with, one of the eternal questions that we're talking about is, well, eternal life, what is it going to look like? Are we going to be dealing with eternal punishment or eternal life? Now, when Christ was on earth, there was several different religious groups. One of them were the Sadducees. I've done the joke before. They were Sadducee because they didn't believe in resurrection, right? But nowadays, what we have is the nihilists. And the nihilists also say, well, you live, and then you die, and then after that, I don't really know what they say. After that, there's nothing. You just live and die. Now, nowadays, we also have the reincarnationists. And what they say is, oh, well, you live, and you die, but then you die a bunch of times. And depending on how you lived when you were living, then that determines where you wind up going after you die. So if you lived a good life, you kind of move up in the pecking order. But if you weren't like good in your life, then you move down in the pecking order. And this just kind of goes on forever until I guess you hit nirvana, and then I guess you're okay then. But the deal is it just kind of goes on and on and on. Now, Christians, what we believe is that there is a change. We live as we're living now, and then we die, and then there's a change that we say. But for us, it's the change determines where we're going to be and how we're going to be living eternally after that. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man to die, and after that, the judgment. So we're going to live, and we're going to die, and there's going to be a judgment, and then that determines where we're going to go, as was said by Daniel. So for Christians, the, the, the question is, is where are we going to spend our eternity? Is it going to be in heaven or is it going to be in hell 
where there's punishment and eternal destruction and we'll be living away from God's presence. Now, one of Jesus' titles was the Good Shepherd. And in his authority as the Good Shepherd, what he's going to do is separate the peoples. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. His sheep are going to be ushered into his kingdom, into God's kingdom, which, remember, Paul said was righteousness and joy and peace. On the other hand, the goats are going to be banished to eternal fire, where the demons and Satan are going to be existing. Now, Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 25. So let's read a couple of passages so that way everybody's clear about what Christ had to say about, say about this. So Matthew 25, verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, enter and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If you drop down to verse 30, 41, it then says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Now, that's not like a good sentence. The people are going to go, well, wait a minute, Lord. Uh, and they're going to say, then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So it's clear for us as Christians that both heaven and hell are going to exist, but the righteous are going to move on to live an eternal life. So it's always important that whenever we get together, we talk about Jesus. And I want to talk about four aspects of his personality, of his character. One as being the Lord creator, one as being savior, Jesus as a high priest, we'll talk about for a minute, and then as our eternal ruler. So Jesus is our Lord creator. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that's in them, which means that what he did was he created the cosmos the universe as we know it. Now, and again, I've probably mentioned this a couple of times. I know I spoke with Tim about it. His father's an astrophysicist, so I try to talk to him and learn some things. But the bottom line is our universe is so large that in the galaxy in which we live, the Milky Way, it takes 50,000 years, 50,000 years, think about that, traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles a second, to get halfway across the Milky Way. I'm not talking about halfway across the universe, halfway across the Milky Way. 
and there are billions, if not trillions, of Milky Ways that are out there. So John 1, however, says that Jesus is the one that made all things. John 1, 1, verses, John 1, verses 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So Psalm 65.4 says that he, God, blesses us. He blesses us by choosing us. He blesses us by bringing him close to his own heart. And he brings us there so that we could dwell with him eternally in his courts or in his house or in his temple. And he does this because he loves us. He loves us just that much. Which leads us to the second characteristic that we wanted to talk about. Jesus as our Savior. He's the Lord creator, but he's also our Savior. He said of himself that I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6 and 7 reflects this. Jesus said to him, and I want to pause a second. He was talking to Thomas, and I think sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap because we call him Doubting Thomas because of what he did with the resurrection. Now, I want to see it. But the bottom line is you could call all of the disciples the Doubting Disciples. That could have been their name because I don't know how many times they kind of got it wrong. But he was talking to Thomas and the disciples, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So Jesus is our Savior. He is also God's immortal son. Psalm 102 verses 25 to 27 speak about his years not having any end. It speaks about the heavens will pass away but he is going to remain the same. It says that the earth and the heavens are his handiwork which goes along with what John had just we just read that John has said. God made everything but he made it through Christ at Christ's hands. So we've seen Christ, and we know that he is co-equal with the Holy Spirit, which in Scripture presents as wind and fire and water. But he's also co-equal with Father God, who is light. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 5, talk about that. It says that that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
First Timothy goes along with it. First Timothy 6, verses 13 to 16. It says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Christ is coming back. He was the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be eternal dominion. Amen. Christ, our Lord, our Savior, who dwells in unapproachable light. He is the King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. He also said that I and my Father are one. In John 30, sorry, John 10, verse 30. Now that was partly why the Jews wanted to kill him, because he said, I and my Father are one, and therefore that made him co-equal with God, and they were like not really trying to hear that, because they just didn't get it, unfortunately. I am my father of one, which therefore makes legitimate his statement when he says, I am the light of the world. Now, I really didn't put that together until I was getting the sermon. It's like, oh, wait a minute. God is light. I am the light of the world. My father and I are one. Wow, that really goes together. I was kind of impressed when I was (laughs) getting ready. Now, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 says this. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, for whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of God, of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Christ, upholds the universe by the power of his word. Now, Psalm 36, and we don't have time to go through the whole psalm, it basically speaks about God's precious and steadfast love for us. Verse 9 says, for with you is the fountain of life. With God is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Now, if Jesus and the Father are one, and God is light, and Christ is the light of the world, then, and he gives us the fountain of life, as it says the psalmist wrote in uh, chapter 36, then what Christ also does in providing us life is he also gives us living water. The verse says, the fountain of life, for with you is the fountain of life. Think about Christ at the well with the Samaritan woman. He said to her, well, You're asking me for stuff? If you had asked me for water, I would have given you living water from the fountain of life that the psalmist is talking about. So God is speaking to us through Jesus, who gives us living water and is the heir of all things, the creator of the cosmos, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's character and nature, He's the upholder of the universe, the purifier of our sins, and now he sits, he's, seat, he's seated at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for us. 
So Jesus is the Lord creator, he's our savior, but he's also our high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says that he has passed through the heavens, these heavens that he created. Jesus as our high priest is merciful and faithful in his service to God because that's what priests did. They ministered to God and they also ministered to people on, on he, they ministered to God on behalf of the people. Christ as our high priest atones for the sins of the people and scripture in many places says that he is made perfect after the order of Melchizedek. Now that would be a whole nother sermon. There was actually a couple of spots in here but these are a whole nother sermons. But to shorten it up, uh, in Psalms 110, in Hebrews 5, Hebrews 6, and Hebrews 7, it talks about this priest Melchizedek, whose name means king of Salem or king of peace, whose name also means prince of peace, king of kings. Does this sound familiar? And when it was, it was recorded that when Abraham went out to a battle and he came back victorious, this Melchizedek, this priest, served bread and wine to Abraham. Now, we're going to be doing the Eucharist later today, but clearly what Melchizedek did was a foreshadowing of Christ having his last supper with the disciples where he gave them bread and wine, representative of his body and his blood. So as a priest, Jesus acts on our behalf and brings us as humans into relationship with God. What he did was he offered himself as a sacrifice to be able to give us this access. And although he was tempted like we were, and being God, he had a whole another level of temptation that we don't really have to deal with. But being tempted as we are in our level of existence he remained without sin. And because he loves us, even though he knows how bad we are, from, except for the babies, they get a pass. But everybody else, once you're like about this big or bigger, you kind of know, and, and he knows our natures, and he knows what we're like. But he deals with us gently anyway, because he loves us. He knows our weakness, and while he was here, he offered prayers and supplications to God for, our be able, for, for us to be able to experience salvation eternally. And he learned obedience. He was obedient, and in what he suffered, he became all that he could be. And again, suffering is not something that we really want to deal with. We don't volunteer to, oh, I want to suffer so that I could be more like Christ. None of us really does if we're being honest. I know I don't. But the deal is, is that he suffered and he was made perfect, if you will, by what he learned. And that's what he calls us to do as well. So Hebrews 7, verses 26 and 28 says, For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, now listen to this, he has no need like high priest to offer sacrifices daily, first for himself or his own sins, and then for the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself. 
For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son, Jesus Christ, who has been made perfect forever. And if you're wondering, well, where were those oaths? Twice. Twice the father made an oath about his son. At the baptism, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And in the Mount of Transfiguration, he said it again and then added, listen to him. Do what he says. So not only is Christ Lord and creator and savior and high priest, but he's also going to rule eternally. His kingdom is everlasting. David in Psalm 145, 13 says his dominion endures. And if you look at Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, that's another famous passage. It says, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So clearly, there is no end to his government and of the peace that he's going to present us and usher us into. He will be called our everlasting father. He'll uphold God's kingdom forever. And this kingdom that we're talking about is going to be new. Take a look at Revelation verses 21 verses 1 through 7. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and the first heaven had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them, with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, and this is Christ talking, John. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So as God's children, as followers of Christ, we have an inheritance that we can look forward to. We have a heritage. What it is, is unending life in eternity. And it was made possible by Jesus' incarnation and his sacrificial death and his resurrection. Amen. Now, Romans 6, 22 and 23 says, But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. So while sin's wages and sin's results yield death, we have been set free. We are servants of God, and we receive from him spiritual fruit. And that spiritual fruit leaves, leads to sustenance. And sustenance leads to sanctification. Think about it when you eat. You have to eat. It grows from somewhere. It, you eat it, and then it gives you the strength to do what you have to do. That would be the sanctification process. And sanctification involves us ministering both to God as well as others. Because he doesn't lead us to sanctification just so we can walk around little nice guys and gals. It's all about us loving one another, as Christ said in Matthew 22. So what I want to do now is what they call, I've never said this before, this is a new term for me, a hard turn. I'm going to do a hard turn. You've heard this before, right? I always say, oh no, here we go now. If you bring up the, the graphic of the temple, I want to talk about the temple because really what we're talking about relative to eternity is relevant in the temple. So about its design, if you notice, it has three basic sections. There's the outer courtyard, the holy place, and then on your left, the holy of holies. You entered the temple through the east. And let's talk about that just a little bit. So it had a gate. Each of the sections had a divider, if you will. And the divider going into the courtyard, the outer courtyard, was the entrance gate. Now, Jesus said in John 10, 7, I am the door, I am the way, I am the gate. So you enter, if you will, through Christ, and in that outer courtyard, you see two things. The altar of burnt offerings, which represents the cross and his blood and what he did in terms of his sacrificial death, and the laver or washing bowl. And what that's about is you cleansing yourself. Christ died so that we could be cleansed. Then you move into the next section. Again, it's separated by a door. Jesus, the door, the gate, the way. And you find in there three things. The table of showbread, which is the word of God. You have the menorah or the candle stand, which represents the Holy Spirit. And you have the altar of incense, which is all about our praise and our prayer for God. But there was also a divider, if you will, the veil. We'll talk about the veil in just a second. But what, the, what you find in the Holy of Holies is really basically two things. There's the Ark of the Covenant, also known as the Ark of Testimony of God, which was basically a wooden chest overlaid with gold. And it held some things. It held the two stone uh, Ten Commandments. It had a pot of manna. And it also had Aaron's rod that budded. This would be a whole other sermon too. But what happened with the rod that budded, it was the establishment of the Levitical priesthood out of the 12 tribes. That's a big piece. But it's the, it's, that was how God said, I want the tribe of Levi. They are going to be my priests and his rod budded. So that was one of the things that was in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark also had what was called a mercy seat. It was its lid or its cover. And it was ornamented by 
two golden cherubim whose wings were outstretched and they touched one another. And that was very important. They actually did a movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, about this ark. I mean, you know, this was very important and uh, nations wanted to get a hold of the ark because they felt they could do damage against other nations. It's, it was very powerful. But the most important thing in the Holy of Holies was God's presence. His Shekinah glory. It would show up and Moses would come in and get instruction for what he should do, how he should be leading the country, how he should be teaching everyone. It was in this Holy of Holies that God met with Moses and his eternal omnipresence, he limited himself into that room. Now, I want to just back up a second. Again, this God, through Christ, built the universe that was that's so big it takes 50,000 years at the speed of light to get out of our neighborhood. Just our neighborhood. And he determined that he would meet Moses. He would bring his manifest presence into this chamber just to talk with him. And he did that so that he could talk with Moses and Moses could talk ultimately with all of us through his instruction. Now, I mentioned the veil. Each of the sections had a divider, and it was the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. And we know, we're taught, that when Christ was on the cross, he gave up his life, and the veil was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Now, what that says is that because of Christ's sacrificial death, the place between or the space between the Holy of Holies or where God resides and the holy place where we minister to him is now there's no longer any separation. So for a period of time, only Moses could go into that Holy of Holies space. And then after he was gone, only the high priest could go in there. And that was only once a year. But the fact is, we now have access to the Father unfettered access to the Father because of what Christ did. So the veil of separation was destroyed by Jesus and he now gives us access to the Father and his nourishment enables us to live the life that he wants us to live. So all that is good. And the real question is, is, so thank you, Ron. So what is it that God wants to say to us? If you haven't heard it already, what is it that God is giving us this message about? And this is what Christ would have me share with you today, right now, if he was standing here. He says, and wanted me to tell you individually and as a group, that I love you and I died for you. Now you see in part but you will see in full. He also said, and this, is, this was deep for me, life is like a womb. Life is like a womb, and you are being birthed into eternity from that womb. Now, for those of us that have parents or got friends that have children, we know how babies come to be. The mom and dad get together, a life is created, the baby develops and grows inside the womb, and then it gets ushered out into life, the life that we're experiencing now. Well, what Christ said is that this life that we're experiencing now 
is like the womb that we are being birthed through to enter into eternity. And eternity is real. He'd also say that, he would also say that joy inexplicable waits for you, although you experience some trials now. We're all going through something. We've been praying for folk in here kind of nonstop because it's like one thing after another. But that's not what it's going to be like in eternity because all of that's going to change. It's going to be new, as he said, in Revelation. So he would say to us to be encouraged because he has overcome the world. So worship team, you can start coming up. We have a place that's been prepared for us. It's beautiful beyond description. We can't even begin to get our heads around what it looks like. It's eternal and it's unshakable in its nature. And we have access to it because Jesus gave himself. He sacrificed himself just to facilitate our entry. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 6, 2 talks about God's reconciliation or God's making appropriation for us to be able to dwell with him. And it talks about what our role is as individual Christians in terms of doing that. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time, Behold, now is the day of salvation. So what I'd like to do is end by reading a passage of Scripture, kind of like a prayer. And it comes from Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. And I'd ask everybody, if you could, just close your eyes for a second and listen intently as, as I read this. And it says... For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory 
in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In summary, we are God's children and we are his family. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, in our hearts, to strengthen us. And if we have faith, Jesus dwells in our hearts through the Holy Spirit's presence. So I encourage you to open your heart to Christ. It might be the first time. God might have been working on you and you're doing your thing and you're going, oh, I kind of feel like I should be doing something different or I think God is trying to talk to me. It might be the first time that you open your heart to Christ. Then do it and you'll be a new believer. It might be that you've already opened your heart to Christ, but you're kind of not living the life that you know you're supposed to. For you, I would say, well, repent and turn your life back over to Christ. But there might be people in here as well who are living a not bad life and they've given their life to Christ already, but you know in your heart of hearts that you're not experiencing the full length and breadth and height and depth of his love for you. So to you, I would say, well, recommit yourself. Recommit yourself. If you're seeking the full experience of life with Christ, then do that. It doesn't make a difference if you know him not yet or you know him some. We can all walk with a stronger walk, if you will, with Christ. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners and that those who believe receive eternal life. Titus 3.7 speaks to Christ's goodness and loving kindness, which justifies us before God, which makes us heirs of eternity and grants us the blessings of being able to experience eternal life. So the real question is, is do you know him? Do you know him? Have you said yes to him? Are you walking with him, but your walk is weak and it needs to be stronger? Are you looking for more of him? Open your heart to him. First John 5, 12 says, whoever has, does not have the son of God does not have eternal life. If you don't have the son, you don't have eternal life. So do you have him? Do you know him? Do you know Christ who is our Lord creator, our savior, our priest, and is going to be the eternal ruler? Finally, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, not the heart of man imagined, God has prepared for those who love him. We only kind of, I mean, we talk about and we have a sense of what this eternity is going to look like. We have no idea what God has prepared for us. And he loves us. They come from the Father. It's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And it's fulfilled in Christ. Eternity awaits us. We're going there. Why not go with Christ? So I'll end by restating Daniel 12:2. It says, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt. I encourage you to choose life today. I love you.
Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.